0: Written by Mrs. M. O. W. Oliphant. It looks at the story of a young governess and her desire to take her own path in life rather than the one that people expect her to take. I'd like to thank you for listening to the podcast and I hope it helps you fall asleep. My mission with this podcast is to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. If you would be so kind, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review and rating in your podcast app, as it helps me reach more people who need a good night's rest. If you'd like to say hello, or sponsor the podcast, I'd love to hear from you at boytosleep.com. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. Janet Summer Hayes did not start in life with the feelings usually attributed to the young governess when beginning what is certainly a very thankless trade with about as little prospect of continued prosperity as any in the world. Many representations of that sad and resigned young heroine ...have appeared before the world. We all know the appearance... ...of the slight girl in deep mourning... ...shyly coming into... ...a strange house... ...and a new world... ...shrinking alike... ...from kindness and neglect... ...feeling that she is likely... ...to be shut out there... ...from everything... ...that is agreeable... ...expecting humiliation... And if not ready to take offense, at least quite aware that nobody is likely to take her feelings into consideration or think that she is made of a young flesh and blood like the others. There are many excuses for this frame of mind, and in many cases the word prognostics are carried out. But I am very glad to say that this was not at all the idea with which the subject of this history prepared to go forth upon the world. Her position up to this time had not been like that of the young and gentle governess of romance, an exceptionally sheltered and happy one. She had not been the only daughter of a doting father or mother, whose want of means to provide for her was only discovered upon their sudden death. On the contrary, Janet's experience was entirely that of a dependent. It is true that dependence was more or less a natural one. She was a relation of her patroness and she had grown up from childhood in Miss Phillipson's house without any consciousness that it was not her home, and with much of her feelings as a child always being subject, always being liable to be ordered about and reproved and little considered, but only in a way common to children. She had been very well educated on the whole, very well cared for, nicely dressed, since that was quite according to the fitness of things, and not allowed in anything to fall behind the neighbouring girls of her age in any pleasure or accomplishment. It would have been contrary to Miss Phillipson's credit, And it would have impaired her comfort if Janet had not been on a level with the rest or if she had not been cheerful and happy in her life. She was always kind to the girl, not being naturally unkind to anyone. She liked to have everything pleasant about her and she had a conscience besides both which things were very good for her little cousin. She did not provide for Janet, but that was all, and indeed having done so much for her and given her on the whole such a happy life up to her 20th year, there was no failure of duty in this, though some of Janet's friends were inclined to blame Miss Phillipson Janet herself was much more just, and neither felt nor expressed any blame. Aunt Mary was always good to me, the girl said. I had no right to that, but she gave it to me freely, and we were very happy together, and certainly I had no right to expect any more. My dear... I would not for the world impair your gratitude or your affection for your poor aunt, said the vicar's wife. In many things she deserved it fully. But-there is no but, said Janet. She was not perhaps quite so much overcome by grief as her friends would have liked to see her. There is a very simple standard in this respect... which people like... to see followed... they like to see a grief... which is overwhelming... for the moment... tears without measure... a sorrow which can take no comfort... all the better if it makes the mourner ill... and perhaps confines her to bed... for a few days... in a shrouded room... without any occupation but that of brooding and weeping over her loss and then they expect her to cheer up not too quickly but with a little visible advance every day an advance which they can feel to be owing more or less to their own sympathetic kindness and good offices Janet had to a certain extent, followed this unspoken rule. She had cried a great deal, though her health had not at all suffered. But after the funeral, she had perhaps too quickly regained her cheerfulness. When the doctor proposed to her, which was a thing that happened very soon after, it had been all she could do not to laugh at the droll idea that any one should think it possible she would marry a middle-aged country doctor. She, Janet. She did laugh in the safety of her own room where nobody could hear her recalling his look and all the peculiarities of his unattractive person and his rough riding dress. He wanted to save her from the life of a governess by binding her to him, and his shabby house, and his busy, dry, joyless existence. How extraordinary, how ludicrous it was that anybody should think it was better to vegetate then go out into the world and seek your fortune. Janet had lived at Clover all her life, and she liked the little place. The scenes were so familiar. The people were all friends. But then she never for a moment supposed that she could be bound to such a seclusion. It had always been her expectation that one time or another she was to fling herself forth upon the world. At the vicarage they were exceedingly tender of the girl who was going forth upon fate like this. Mrs. Bland made a survey of all her clothes and mended some and condemned others with a pathetic tenderness. You must have all your linen in order, she said, for there is nothing a girl is so apt to forget. I was in rags myself when my first wedding outfit wore out before I ever thought of getting a new set of things. A girl can see when she wants a new frock, but as for her underthings, she always leaves that to her mother. But you forget, Mrs. Bland, I have never had a mother, said Janet. Ah, my poor child! But you were very kindly thought of, Janet, very kindly. Do you think I meant any reproach to poor Auntie Mary? Oh, no. She liked me to have everything. She liked me to be the best dressed child in the parish. But as I grew up, I saw to it myself. She thought it was best for me. But I shall always take the most care of the buttons you have sewed on. Fancy sewing on buttons and seeing after tapes for me. "'It is the most natural thing in the world,' said the vicaress. "'I only wish I could always take charge of you, Janet. "'But we are old people, and we have little to leave, "'and it would only be putting off a little "'what would have to be faced at last.' "'Dear Mrs. Bland,' cried Janet, looking at her with something like tears in her eyes. They were real tears, and yet even while they sprang by instinct of nature, the little thing could not help the rising of a revolt against the thought of settling again at Clover, after she had once been unseated from her corner at Clover, when what she was thinking of was the world. But you must promise me, my dear, said the old lady, with a tremor in her voice, that as long as we live, you will always look on the vicarage as your home. If this Mrs. Harwood should not turn out all you expect, you must not think it necessary to stay on And you know, and fret yourself to death trying to make it do. You must always remember that you have a home to come back to, Janet. But the vicar thought Mrs. Harwood was very nice. So he did, but in such cases, a man's opinion does not go for very much. If a woman looks nice and talks nicely and has an agreeable smile. It is all the vicar thinks of, and most people are nice to him. How could they help it? He is so delightful himself. Well, I tell you, he is no judge, and in the best of places, Janet, there is a great deal to put up with. Every family has its own ways and you will be a stranger, and it will be hard for you to be left out, and to feel yourself always, as an outsider. There is a young lady, and she will go out to her parties and balls, and you will be left behind. I don't mean that you will feel it now, when your spirit is broken, but by and by, when in the course of nature... It would be just the same at Clover, said Janet. There are neither balls nor parties, but everything there is you are asked to. That makes such a difference, and it will not be the case there. My dear, I am frightened about you, for you are too bold. You don't realise the difference. It will be a great difference, said Mrs Bland shaking her head. Janet could have laughed, but did not. She was very bold. The new life and the strange family had no terrors for her. Novelty was dear, an exhilaration not a terror to this little girl. Her heart was beating high with expectation while all these prophecies were poured into her ear. But it would not have been in good taste, Janet felt, to exhibit the real state of her feelings. So she answered demurely that she hoped she was not too bold. But dear Mrs. Bland, when one has to do it, don't you think one had better try to do it cheerily and think the best? Don't you remember the old song in the play that the vicar likes so much? A merry heart goes all the way A sad one tires in a mile That's true enough, said Mrs. Bland still shaking her head But men don't know half that women have to put up with Anyhow, Janet, my poor dear you must always recollect this, that if it should ever become more than you can bear, you might just give up the struggle and come back home. This is home so long as he and I are alive. And if he goes first, whatever poor little cottage I may get to hide my old head in, you'll be just as welcome there. And if I go in first there will be all the more occasion, for he will sorely want somebody to look after him. At the mingled prospect of Janet's need, and her own poor little problematical cottage as the vicar's widow, and the vicar's want of somebody to look after him, Mrs. Bland broke down entirely and shed salt tears, Indeed, those things were all possible, though only one of the last two sorrows could be. But when an old pair came to the end of life, it is almost certain that one of them must be left one day to survive and miss the other. Though, to be sure, it does happen now and then that they are so blessed as to die Within a day or two of each other, which is by far the best. Janet went to her old friend and kissed her, and was, as Mrs. Bland said, very sweet, comforting the old lady with tender words and letting fall a few tears, as it is easy on any provocation to do at nineteen. And immediately after, it was tea time and the vicar came in from his study where he was writing a sermon in his room and everything became cheerful again. Afterwards, Mrs. Bland put all Janet's things together and looked at them with affectionate, complacent eyes patting each snowy heap now, Janet, she said, you have a dozen of each, my dear, and not a button or a tape wanting, and all the trimmings nice and in good order. That will last you for a long time. You must keep an eye upon the trimming, which London washerwomen tear dreadfully. I've put our old-fashioned Buckinghamshire lace made in my old parish where I was born upon all the new ones. There is nothing that wears and washes so well. You never had to think about these things until now, but you must promise me to look them over carefully every Saturday. You know, a stitch in time. Janet gave the promise. With all necessary earnestness, and the things were carried upstairs and carefully packed. It was a sad evening at the vicarage. The old people said all manner of sweet and pretty things to the neophyte, which Janet tried when she could to ward off by a little joke, or one of the merry little speeches. Which all the clover people expected from her, but though this might turn the edge of a piece of serious advice for a moment, the grave tone always came back. A sentence might have begun lightly, but it was sure to end with, Remember, Janet. The old people both kissed her and blessed her when she went upstairs to bed. The last night they said to each other with an interchange of sympathetic glances and she takes it so easily. She is not a bit daunted, said Mrs. Bland, shaking her head. Perhaps that's all the better, said the vicar but the old couple were almost alarmed in spite of themselves at Janet's calm If they had but known, she went upstairs quietly enough with a composed step, but when she got to her own room, which was happily at the other end of the house, Janet threw down on her bed the things she was carrying, which were presents from her old friends, a writing case from one, a work basket from the other and danced, actually danced a lively, old hornpipe step, which she had learned when she was a child. She did it before the glass, and nodded and smiled at herself, as she bobbed up and down, then stretching out her arms, flung herself in the old easy chair and said, Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah softly under her breath. The last night, said Janet to herself, the last of this dull old life, which she knew in every feature, which never had anything new in it, no excitement, no change, but to do the same things at the same hours every day, and come in to meals and sit in the same chair and go to church and go to bed she was not at all without affection for the people who were so kind to her but to feel herself upon the edge of the unknown went to Janet's head it was like laughing gas or champagne or any other stimulant to gaiety the idea intoxicated her As for all the dolorous pictures that had been placed before her, she believed none of them. To go off among people she had never seen, to plunge into the midst of a life she knew nothing about, to become a member of a family whose name only she knew. It was like beginning a new world to Janet, she would have everything to find about them, their Christian names, their stories, if they had any, perhaps the family story, if there was one, the skeleton in the closet, the romance, whatever there might be. What fun, she said to herself, clapping her hands, even the new place would be something to begin. The new home and customs, the new rooms. It appeared to her altogether, in a bright light of expectation, everything nice, everything new. The name of Mrs. Harwood, a widow lady, with three children, living in St. John's Wood, will not, perhaps, appear exciting... At the first glance, she was Mrs. Novelty, the gatekeeper of the new world to Janet, and her three children were three romances about to begin, in each of which Janet would come by degrees to be the heroine. The house in St. John's Wood was the theatre, the stage on which she was to make her first appearance she knew no more of that respectable or disrespectable region than she did of Timbuktu. As for the naughtiness, that was all a sealed book to Janet. Her wildest thoughts were as innocent as a child's. She had absolute ignorance as a guard to her imagination, which is a guard always to be desired, and most so... 19, the life she longed to know was the common life of the world, not even in her dreams had she thought of the transgression of any law, she expected to have her own merits recognised, to have adoration and homage laid at her feet, to find not only Prince Charming in the end, but no doubt many others whose sighs and glances would make existence very amusing. She expected that admiration would meet her, that she would be in the midst of a story before she knew. She expected to triumph all along the line. The world's my oyster, which with this glance I'll open. That was the light in which Janet contemplated the life of a governess in St. John's Wood, which she was to begin the next day. And that concludes tonight's readings of the Boy to Sleep podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you're feeling sleepy. Until next time, good night.